From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. You know when you were a kid and you saw those little decorative horns that sometimes hang on the Christmas tree? It's just like a little circle of brass and it's got the big bell on one end you can blow on the other. Did you ever try playing those and getting a sound out of it? I was sorely disappointed one year when I grabbed it and blew it and found out it had been made into a kazoo. At least the particular one we had. Not really a glorious sound. We're going to get something much better than that today because we are going to give you not just one horn, not just two horn, but three different French horns. We'll tell you about the different kinds. We're going to get to hear all of them, and we'll mix in a little bit of dinosaur, sauropod history, etc. We'll also talk about care and feeding of the French horn, you'll hear something that I don't think you have ever heard about how you take care of a French horn. All of this is because we have a wonderful player in the studio today. I'm proud to introduce you to Stephanie Barron. She is a BYU grad student. She just finished her graduate recital. She's pursuing her Master's of Music degree from Brigham Young University, studies with Lawrence Lowe. She's performed in symphonies, operas, ballets all over the Great Plains and the Mountain West. We have an excellent accompanist, Jane Galloway, and let's start with a piece on the natural horn. This is just a plain old tube that's all wound around without all the fancy valves and the other stuff that we might come to expect. We're going to hear two horns on this piece, Villanelle by Paul Ducat. Thank you. 
We've heard that performed on both the natural horn and the double horn by our guest today, Stephanie Barron. I'm Stephen Cap Perry, and you're listening to live music from our recording studio here at BYU Broadcasting. Stephanie, your first time on Highway 89. Thank you for playing for us. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> you have showed up with this array of brass with all these different horns. So tell us, as I'm sure as, as we were listening, even uh, anyone, even with your eyes closed, could hear the different tones between you started on the natural horn and then you switched to the other horn. I did. Um, so uh, what Ducal was referencing there was kind of the origins of the horn um, from the beginnings of France. And he was kind of um, a little bit of a, of a testy kind of guy <laughs> at the Paris Conservatory. Um, so he just kind of threw that in there to make the piece extra hard. 
Um, so you'd have to learn, learn two different instruments to be able to play it. Yeah. Cause by his time in France, it was all kind of out the window. Not many people played natural horn anymore. So he's like, you know what? Let's throw the natural horn in there just to mess with people. <laughs> if I can't be happy, I don't want anyone else. Right? To be exactly. So tell me, tell me about this. The natural horn, it's like 18 or so feet and mm-hmm. of, of brass tubing and it's all coiled. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I don't know if it's, Sorry, I don't know if it's quite 18 feet. Um, the the na- the other horn, the double horn, is 18 feet. It's that long. Uh, the natural horn is a little bit less tubing. Um, it's just kind of one circle, one or two circles around. Um, I don't know the exact dimensions of the natural horn. I so, guess I should have looked that one up. But so <laughs> as a kid looking at the French horn, I, w- I was always thinking, why is it pointing backwards? Um, <laughs> you know what? That's a good question. And if I had to guess, it would be because they, um, on the... Whenever it was originally in made in France, they would sling it over their shoulder um, on the hunting parties while they were riding ah. on the horn. So then they just picked it up off their shoulder and they just... Well, so I knew that you could play the different uh, mm-hmm. notes with the keys, and I knew that you could use your hand as a mute to be rounder or brassier tone, but you're actually using your hand to change the note on that natural horn. Mm-hmm. How, how do you do that? You just know how far into... To stick it, or do you know what shape to put your fingers in for G, F, A? Or? Well, there's there's the con- there's the conventional way, and then there's what I was taught. Um, <laughs> okay. the, the conventional way is that there's um, there's what we call fully closed with your hand all the way covering the bell. Um, there's kind of half closed where you're kind of half covering mm-hmm. the hole, and then it's all the way open. Um, and theoretically, there each note has a different place, but really the way that I was taught was you just kind of figure out what works for you and whatever gets the note out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming you started on the what we call the regular horn, the, the, yes. the double horn. So when did you think, I need to pick up these other these other versions? Um, well, at the beginning of the semester. I just really wanted to learn the natural horn. It sounded, it looked really cool. I'd seen it in all these pictures and everyone always asked me if I could play it. So it was just like, you know what? I can't, but I should. <laughs> so I decided, I went into my professor, uh, Dr. Lowe, and I went in and I said, um, I want to learn how to play the natural horn. And he's just like, well, okay, I'll get you the natural horn. And, I, and then he let me BYU's natural horn. Oh, nice. I was going to ask, how do you even find one if they're out of a vogue for 200 years? It's kind of funny because now there's a trend. You can buy them handmade. Um, where they just, uh, I mean, obviously handmade. Um, but what's really popular right now is called a, va- a valvectomy. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? So what you do... I assume that's safe. <laughs> it's, it's safe. It's safe. It's also a whole bunch cheaper. So what you do is you go to a pawn shop, typically, and you find a really beat-up horn, um, and an old an old double horn or an old single horn, and you make sure that the lead pipe and the bell are all still intact. And then you take it to um, an instrument shop, and you say... Cut, I need you to take out all of the valves and just solder together a couple of uh, pipes yeah. oh for my me. Goodness. And then, it, voila, you have a natural horn for like 50 bucks. Wow. Or, or, or Frankenhorn. <laughs> right, or Frankenhorn. And that's the way they normally look. In fact, that's what my, um, my previous horn professor used to call them sometimes, was Frankenhorn, Frankenhorns, because you'd see like all the valves and stuff. Oh. Well, one more question I've got for you, and then we're going to hear... The, the particular piece I have most been wanting to hear <laughs> for the concert tonight, and you'll hear why in just a minute, but uh, horn players often have to, when you're playing in an orchestra, transpose. They do. It's a suppressed memory. Why, why do they do that to you? <laughs> um, well, it actually goes back to the natural horn. Um, so what used to happen in Mozart and Beethoven's day is that you would have the natural horn and you would have what you call crooks, which are different um, lengths of tubing to, to crook it in different keys. Hmm. Um, so like mine that I just played was crooked in the key of F. 
which is what the double horn now is also crooked in. Um, or permanently set in. Um, but so for the rest of the pieces, they would ask for different crooks because they would put them in different keys. So a horn player would walk around with a whole bunch of boxes of different lengths of tubing. And if Mozart said, we're playing a piece in C, then you had to get out your C crook and take out your F crook and play it with the C crook. So there, it goes back to that. But then nobody decided to change those pieces whenever they invented the valve and made it kind of multi-key. Um, so now I have to do it all in my head. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Which isn't fun. <laughs> so you're looking at it, but you're playing other notes. Right. Just transposing in your head. Right. So, if, like, for instance, um, if I was in the key of E flat, so I'm, if the piece was in the key of E flat, since my horn is an F, I would have to look at the note on the page and think a whole step down. Um, and that's the note I would have to play. Okay, our admiration for what you are doing <laughs> is is rising by leaps and bounds. So we'll let you go grab your, your two horns you're going to play on this next piece. And here is why I've been dying to hear this one. It's uh, it's written by Mark Schultz. He's an American composer born in Seattle in 1957. He has some very, very interesting titles like raptors, sauropods, rainbow-horned dinosaur Dragons in the Sky, Alligator Alley. These are all quite popular pieces that are that are performed. We are going to hear the one called T-Rex, and it's in two sections. And you just have to know that the, even the musical marking on the horn part says, you know where it usually would say legato or whatever. It says seething, reptilian. <laughs> and then the piano part itself says menacingly. Now, Jane Galloway is very able, and she's practiced many things, but I don't know how much time she spent being menacing, but we'll get some of that. Also, we'll have a little bit of tuning today in between things. Let's go for it. We're going to check the tuning here. All right, so now we're going to hear Mark Schultz's T-Rex. This is a piece that he wrote for horn and piano. We'll hear the original version as it was written. This is from back in 1990.
That's T-Rex by Mark Schultz, performed by Stephanie Bear in French horn. Using two different horns, Jane Galloway, who was quite menacing indeed with those low notes. And somehow at the beginning, it sounds like a T-Rex is sinking into the La Brea tar pits. I don't know if that's the right part of history. <laughs> that must be so fun to practice. And your roommates must have been thinking, or excuse me, you moved mm-hmm. beyond that. Your husband must be thinking. <laughs> you must be thinking, what? <laughs> I did get some very strange looks in the practice rooms because there's little windows in all the practice rooms. Uh So I would practice that, the loud part and the seething part, and people would come by and give me the strangest looks. (laughs) They'd be like, what are you playing? (laughs) Is that music? Are you having a bad day? My husband, whenever he heard a recording of it, actually asked me if I was really going to seethe. And I said, I have to. It's in the piece. (laughs) This is Stephanie Barron we're speaking with, French horn player, pianist Jane Galloway. You're listening to Highway 89, coming to you live. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Now, there are two sections of that T-Rex. Yeah. Uh, one of them was uh, tiny feet or little feet, little and, feet and big feet. The little feet, it was kind of cute almost. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of the whole piece because it's just kind of, it's light and airy and ethereal. I, for some reason, picture the birds flying away from the T-Rex. Um, I don't know if that's what Mark Schultz intended whenever he wrote that, but that's what I, the little feet of the birds. And, and, and you play that on the descant horn. So is that, is, is that smaller? What key, what key is that in? Um, so the descant horn that I have here is in high F and mm-hmm. in B flat. So on my double horn, um, there's a low F and there's a B flat, which that covers the full normal range. Um, and then the descant is a little bit like a piccolo horn, if you want to think about it like that. Um, which has the B-flat, which is the higher range of my double horn, and then the high F octave on top of that. So it's not cheating, like I'm going to get a little horn to play no. the high notes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually to get different effects and, mm-hmm. and, and have a whole different range. Yeah, and actually if you can't play high on the normal double horn, then you can't make a sound on the descant horn. <laughs> it's kind of similar the way that the piccolo trumpet works with, uh, with normal trumpets. If you can't play high on the normal trumpet, then the piccolo trumpet's just going to hurt you. Um, but it definitely, the descant horn does make it a little bit easier to play up high because it makes the harmonics just a little bit farther away, so it makes it a little bit easier, but there's not much cheating that goes on with that horn. <laughs> well, I want to ask, uh, I, I want to ha- ask you about something I had no idea about. I mean, all brass instruments have, we just have to say it, there's a spit valve. Oh, there is. <laughs> because the, quote, <laughs> condensation builds up, and then that needs to be gotten rid of, rid of, lest it sound like the end of the bubbling effect you just did. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, like with the clarinet, you, you can drop in a, 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 a special cloth with a little string and a weight, and it'll drag it straight through. And, but you can't really do that with a big coiled instrument. Yeah. 
you give your horn a bath. I do. Like like people are thinking, oh, I'm sure it's different. No, no, it's just a bath in a bathtub. It is. It is a literal bath. I do not bathe with my French horn. Um, I'm sure that there's some horn players. We all out have there. our I limits. I know we all have our limits. I don't know if that would help clean it up or, or at all. Um, but so what? Basically, what most horn players do, you can take it to an instrument repair person, and they can sonic clean it with like sounds and things like mm-hmm. that to shake the dirt out. But what most horn players do is at home, um, they just put a towel down in the bottom of their bathtub. Hopefully a clean bathtub, we're hoping. Yes. Um, they put a towel down, and then you just take apart all of the valves and things, and you put some dish soap in it, and you let it soak in there like you would a baby. Just like palm olive. <laughs> just, that's what you do. That's, that's actually not, mostly what I use is just some palm olive, and you swish it around and let it get all bubbly, and then you take a little uh, a little brush, and you get under the water, and you just clean out all the gook, and then you take it out and put it back together. It was amazing. Well, uh, Stephanie showed us a picture <laughs> yes. of her horn all taken apart. We could see glimpses of it gleaming through the bubble bath. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I, I want to ask how hard the French horn is. I don't know if you've played other instruments, but I always hear how hard it is, and especially if you're playing a lot of high notes. Mm-hmm. Even really excellent players will say, I'm sorry, my lips are shot, meaning mm-hmm. I need some a couple hours before I can do that again. Yes. Um, well, interesting story. I've heard my whole life that the French horn was hard. Um, I've always thought woodwinds were more hard because they had more buttons and I've mm. played woodwinds now because I dabbled in music education in my undergrad and I can attest to the, to the fact that woodwinds are harder, um, at least in my mind. But the reason why uh, French horn is so difficult to play is because there's only four, there's only four buttons. So only have four options to make them, to make the sound. And then the rest of it has to come with about seven tiny little muscles in your mouth. Um, which is why they wear out so quickly. And mm. it, it's similar with trumpet players is that whenever you play, I can only practice per day about three to four hours um, before I can't I can't do it anymore. And I definitely can't do it in one sitting. Mm. The longest I think I've ever played in one sitting is about two and a half hours. Um, past that, I'm kind of shot. But Well, let's hear one more. Okay. We're going to let Stephanie Barron take her place with her French horn. This will be on the double horn, what most of us would call just the regular old French horn. Not the descant horn, not the franken horn, and not the the natural horn. This is, uh, we think, inspired by an Edgar Allan Poe poem, Annabelle Lee, and Mark Schultz, same composer as the last piece we heard, wrote, I and my Annabelle Lee.
That's I and my Annabelle Lee by Mark Schultz, performed by Stephanie Barron, accompanied by Jane Galloway. And you are listening to a graduate student in the BYU School of Music. Before coming to BYU, Stephanie studied with Christopher Smith at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. So graduating soon, does that mean what? Auditions for symphony, teaching, or what's in your future? All of it. All of the above. Um, I'm right now looking for um, symphony jobs and ballet jobs. My ideal job would probably be working for a ballet. Um, I just I played with Ballet West uh, last November, and I really enjoyed just being around the dancers and everything. Um, and operas, I'm looking for opera companies, everything. And I'm hoping to um, start teaching privately as well right after graduation. So I went to a, a performance of Wagner recently where they took the ring cycle, they took all the themes and put them into one 40-minute medley. And besides the army of French horns that were there, they had these other horns all pointing forward. Oh, the Wagner tuba. Yes, the Wagner tuba. And I thought, well, is this the only one you need to add to your repertoire and then you'll be set for any opera, any ballet? Pretty much. (laughs) I've had some experience with the Wagner tuba and I just can't get over that it looks looks like it came directly out of Dr. Seuss. (laughs) Just, I mean, next time you watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the cartoon version, just look what they're playing in the band and it looks pretty close to a Wagner tuba. I just can't get over it. So (laughs) if I were playing the French horn, I would love that I would get all these dramatic moments. Oh, yeah. Do you have, are, are there moments you remember like a, a particular ballet or an opera or, or is it just the fact that when the brass finally comes in, you get to be sort of the cavalry riding in? Um, it's kind of, I, it's kind of the latter. I love being the heroic instrument. Mm-hmm. I love being that kind because in most of the, in the works that Horn's written for, even now it's kind of the hope motif mm-hmm. and I enjoy being the hope motif. John Williams <laughs> likes to use that a lot. Um, to bring in with uh, heroic things and that feeling of hope. I know he uses that in Star Wars, mm. um, which is really popular right now. And I guess it has been for like the last 20 years. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I just love being that triumphant, hopeful instrument. Well, what a pleasure to hear you play and to talk to you. Stephanie Barron is our guest today, our, our skilled accompanist throughout the program today, Jane Galloway. Stephanie, thank you again. Thank you for having me. If you're listening at home and maybe you just caught part of the show or you'd like to hear the first part, hear it again or share it, so easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org highway89. Also, follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates, special behind-the-scenes photos, and pictures of instruments being bathed with love. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our assistant is Abby Horlocker, and the show's producer is Jackie Tateishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 